we come to God's word this morning, our scripture reading is uh, first from Deuteronomy chapter 17. It'll become uh, clear later on why we're reading this. It's the law of the king concerning what a righteous king in Israel should look like. We'll read verses 14 through 20. Deuteronomy chapter 17, which is on pages 189, 190 in your pew Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 17, beginning at verse 14. God says, when you come to the land the Lord your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose, one from among your brothers, you shall set his king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother, only He must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself lest his heart turn away, nor shall he acquire for himself excessive silver and gold. If he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests, that it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom. He and his children in Israel. We'll turn over to the words of King David in Psalm 19, page 538 in your pew Bibles, where we read a psalm to the choir master, a psalm of David. He says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey, drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? 
Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Congregation, the Belgic Confession says in Article 2 that we know God by two means. Uh, We know him by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, which is before our eyes like a very beautiful book showing forth God's glory. We know him by his holy and divine word, through which says he makes himself known to us more openly. As much as we need in this life for his glory and for the salvation of his people. God makes himself known to us through two means, the book of nature and the book of scripture. Or if we could could tweak it slightly and use the language of verses three and four of our psalm, we know him through the voice of nature and through the voice of scripture. So it is that the voice of these two books that we consider this morning, along with the voice of the king who delights in them, the voice of nature, the voice of scripture, and the voice of the king. As we see here in Psalm 19, the kind of delighted meditation we're to have in God's revelation, both in his world and in his word. So let me first to the king's delight in the voice of God in nature. It says in verse 1 that the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. Just like he did in in Psalm 8, which we looked at a few months ago, or we sang earlier this morning. He looks up at the moon and the stars, the works of God's hands, and says, in essence, how majestic is your name, allowing the beauty of nature to lead him to extol the beauty of God. The, The glory of the sun and the moon lead him to contemplate the glory of God. That's what we see both in Psalm 8 and in Psalm 19, where David tells us that, that creation itself voices God's glory. Verse 3, even though it does not speak in audible words, its voice is heard. It says, day to day and night after night, it, it pours out speech, revealing knowledge about God's glory and God's power. Romans chapter 1, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, these are proclaimed in creation. It says their voice goes out through all the earth, their words, to the end of the world, leaving no one without excuse. Everyone sees the glory and power and creativity and majesty of the one who created the heavens and the earth And David is making the same point that Paul does in Romans chapter 1, that because his voice in creation goes out to all the earth, everyone is without excuse. Everyone hears it, and therefore everyone is bound to glorify the Creator. Even as as when you hear a a beautiful piece of music, or you uh, look at a beautiful piece of artwork, it leads you to consider the one who made it. David teaches us to look at the world, consider what we see, and give praise to the one who made it. 
Or do you praise God when you see a beautiful sunset? Boys and girls, do you, do you praise God when you, when you see the, the beautiful birds and creatures flying overhead? Do you extol him and, and thank him when you see the stars in the sky? Verse 5, when, when you see the sun rising like a bridegroom, leaving its chamber like a strong man, a, a mighty warrior, running its course with joy. Does that lead you to praise God? It should. That's the very simple point that that David makes in verses 1 through 6 as he looks at the sky and, and praises God and in so doing calls us by his example to do the same. Yet as we move throughout the psalm, we see that this isn't all that David wants us to do. We see starting in verse 7 that, that David has, has in some sense used the voice of, of creation as a, a kind of foil to celebrate God's fuller and clearer voice, not just in his world, but in his word. And David allows the glory of God that he sees in the world to move him to consider God's glory in his word, which is really the heart of this psalm, verses um, 7 through 9 form the, the central section of it and give us the central burden of the king. More than he wants us to see the glory of God in creation, he wants us to see the glory of God that is revealed in his word. Which he, he refers to throughout this section as God's law, God's testimony, his precepts, his commandment, and, and rules. And these uh, five different names that he assigns to God's word are, are then accompanied by, by five characteristics of his word, by five things that his word does. As David extols the voice of God in Scripture, he tells us, first of all, that it's perfect and revives the soul. The word that he uses here for law is, is Torah, meaning God's instruction. It's the word that we often use, boys and girls, for those first five books of the Bible. Though it's not limited to that, it means the totality of God's instruction. This is the same word from Psalm 1, where where the psalmist delights in and meditates on God's Torah. That's precisely what he's doing here in this psalm. He says that it's perfect. He is delighting in and meditating on God's perfect law. This is, this is the language of delight. This is language like what we see in the Song of Songs. There, there is no flaw in you. You are perfect. The Davidic king finds the word of God in its totality to be lacking nothing but perfect. And needing nothing to be added to it or taken away. But as Spurgeon said, it is perfect in all its parts and perfect as a whole. It is a crime to add to it, treason to alter it, and felony to take away from it. God's word is altogether perfect. And so the psalmist delights in it. And because it's perfect, the, the one who studies it, like the man of Psalm 1, will have his soul revived and be like a tree planted by streams of water that yields fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. Remember all the way back at the beginning of the Psalter, Psalm 1 spoke of the, the spiritual vitality that comes from studying God's Torah. And now Psalm 19 comes and reinforces the perfect law of God revives the soul. Even as it did in Psalm 1, it gives life and vitality. It is a source of of spiritual life 
that renews you. Same thing we heard in our call to worship from Romans chapter 12. It renews our hearts. It renews our minds. And not in the sense that, that it renews you simply by, by making you feel good, but, but not in a way that's, that's in accord with reality, like maybe a, a prosperity preacher or a, a motivational speaker who just uh, gets up there and, and tells you to, to feel really good about yourself. But the second thing that David tells us about the Word of God is, is that it's sure. And the word he uses here is, is testimony. It has the idea of bearing witness to one's faithfulness. David says that God's faithful testimonies are sure and reliable because the one who speaks them does not lie. These words in which the king delights, these words that revive the soul are infallible and inerrant. They are completely reliable. And therefore, if you give yourself to the study of them, they will make you wise. David says they make even the simple wise. If you come to them with a posture of one who is simple and needs to learn, God will, by them, make you wise. Spurgeon said, Humble, candid, teachable minds receive the word and are made wise unto salvation. As we sang in Psalm 119, are made wiser than their teachers. The humble heart that places itself under and, and not over the word of God the humble heart that, that places itself under the trustworthy word of God becomes wise. Because we heard in our, our call to worship from Romans 12, you have your minds renewed. Boys and girls, if, if you want to become wise, David says, study God's word. Young people, if you wish to become wise, if you wish to, to acquire wisdom, God tells you where to find it. The trustworthy word of God imparts true wisdom. Not just affecting the mind, but also the heart. As David says in verse 8, the precepts of the Lord are right, and they rejoice the heart. Precepts, uh, simply meaning words uh, appointed or charged by someone with authority. That they're right, that means they are in accord with what's truly good. And David says because they are, they bring joy to one's heart. Because true joy is not found in in throwing off God's law as those in Psalm 2 who say, let us burst their bonds apart and, and cast their cords from us. But true joy is found in submitting to God's morally upright precepts, which Psalm 119 says are exceedingly broad and make us walk in a wide place. You understand we live in a culture that that rebels against God's precepts and says they're not right. That they're hateful and and depressive. It calls God's word hate speech. Says that it doesn't bring joy. But David, he reminds us where true joy is found. From the one whose words are always right. David, he reminds us, do not seek to rejoice your heart with the things that God's word says are off limits, but recognize that the one who created joy wishes to maximize your joy by giving you his good and upright commandments, which David then says are also pure, enlightening the eyes. This is the same thing that he said back in Psalm 12, the words of the Lord are pure words, he said. 
They are wholly reliable, and they reveal who he truly is, unlike the the false words proceeding from from a double heart of those who lie in Psalm 12 too. God's words can be trusted because they are pure, transparent. There is no hint of sin that pollutes them, but they enjoy, as one pastor said, a shining moral rectitude as they are free from any debasing corruption or pollution, but the immaculate, unstained, unsullied beauty of holiness is on display in what God commands. And because what he commands is pure, it says it enlightens our eyes. It makes us to know what's truly good and right. It gives us eyes to see and understand the world right. So that whether our eyes be be dim from, from sin or sorrow, the scriptures make them clear and bright. Enlightening our eyes and helping us to see things as we ought to see them. They rejoice the heart. They enlighten the eyes. They make the wise simple and revive the soul. Creation David is, is teaching us what the Word of God does. It's living and active, producing, verse 9, the fear of the Lord that endures forever because the words, of, the rules of the Lord are true. And that's the fifth thing that um, David tells us about God's Word, that it's true and righteous, which goes beyond what he's just said about God's testimonies being sure. But this here speaks of of their righteousness or or justice. In fact, this word rules that David used has the idea of of the ruling or verdict of a judge. And David says gods are always just. That in his word, he sides with the righteous and the innocent as, as we see throughout the Psalms, as we see in the law. David is saying God's rulings about what is right and proper, his judicial decisions are righteous and they always bring justice. They never render an unjust decision. David is completely enamored with the word of God. It's altogether perfect. Each of these words, each of these qualities, each of these things that the word does are, are meant to shine like a multifaceted diamond showing us from every angle that the beauties and glories of the word of God that enlightens the eyes, rejoices the heart, enacts justice, makes the simple wise, and revives the soul. His word is altogether perfect. And the king is here commending it to us is that which we should give ourselves to the study of. We should love. Even more glorious than the voice of God in nature is the voice of God in Scripture. In fact, that's the point that the progression of this psalm is making. It's also the, fact that the point that, um, making the point that rightly understanding what David describes in verses 7 to 9 is what enables the response that David has in verses 1 to 6 to God's voice in nature. James Hamilton says the truth of the scriptures in verses 7 to 9 enables David to see God's glory in creation in verses 1 to 6. He is able to see God's glory in creation because he has experienced God's glory in scripture. 
It's given him eyes to see. It's enlightened him and helped him to, to respond the way that he ought to respond to what he sees in nature. As we confess in Belgian confession, what is revealed in the book of nature is enough to convict and leave us without excuse, but it's not sufficient to save us. What we see in in nature is not sufficient to give us all that we need in this life. That's why we need the word, which enlightens our eyes, makes us wise so that, that God's voice in nature will not fall on deaf ears. A part of the point of this psalm is that if you don't understand the word, then you won't understand the world. But you need to be going to the word to understand what wise living in this world looks like. Not to your favorite TV station or podcast, but to the word, which alone gives life and vitality and acts justice, rejoices the heart, makes the wise simple, and helps you to understand everything that you see in God's good world. His word is sufficient. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness in his word, and David is calling us in Psalm 19 to believe that. And with him in verse 10, just that God's word is more to be desired than anything else. So we see last that the voice of the king who is calling us to have this same posture toward the word which enables us to hear God's voice in scripture and in nature and respond to it rightly. Verses 10 to 14, we hear the voice of the king whose personal testimony is that this word he's been commending to us is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, Makes us think of that man in Matthew chapter 13 who's, who's willing to sell everything he has for this treasure that he finds in the kingdom. It's more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, and sweeter than honey, even the drippings of honeycomb. He is describing the word of God to us as delicious and delightful. He's describing it to us as, as valuable, as a great treasure worth more than anything else. He loves the word. And as much as, as we are to hear in this um, what's, what's being commended to us, it's also important for us to remember that this is the voice of the king. Remember, that's what we're told in the superscription at the very beginning of the psalm. And you remember what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 17 about the, the ideal king for whom Israel longed who would delight in God's law sounds quite a bit like him. In fact, it's interesting, throughout the Psalms, there are are three uh, Torah Psalms that are are devoted to delighting in the beauties of God's law, and each of them, in the ordering of the Psalms, are paired with royal Psalms. In fact, that's how the Psalter begins. Psalms 1 and 2 form this two-part introduction to the Psalter, where right at the outset, we find two Psalms that delight in God's law and then show us God's King. And then later on in book 5, Psalms 118 and 119 do the same. We know that Psalm 118 is a royal messianic psalm because of the way the New Testament uses it. But what's interesting is that it's paired with 119. That psalm of some 176 verses where the king delights in God's law. 
And remember last week, we looked at Psalm 18, that longest of the royal psalms about the victories of God's king and God's kingdom. And what do you know? The very next psalm is about the perfect law of God. The placement of Psalm 19 is significant. Every one of the psalms delighting in God's law is paired with a royal psalm anticipating David's offspring forever, the king who would come from his line. Who in Psalm 18 we found placing God's rules ever before him, his statutes. He said he he did not put away from him, was blameless and upright and delighted in God's word which always proves true. If you look back at Psalm 18 in in verses 20 to 24 and then verse 30, we see the kind of of delight in the law that Psalm 19 also commends. In fact, we see much of the same vocabulary. The king who called himself the servant of the Lord at the beginning of Psalm 18 calls himself in verse 11 and verse 13 of this psalm, your servant. Verse 14, calls God his rock. Compare that with Psalm 18.2 and Psalm 18.46. The the placement or the, the, the juxtaposition of these two psalms is intentional. They're playing on the same themes. The righteous king of Psalm 18 is the one who delights in God's law in Psalm 19. We already saw last week how the whole of Psalm 18 is given by David to point beyond himself to the ideal king who would come from his line. The king of Psalms 1 and 2. The ideal king of Deuteronomy 17. If you you turn back there to Deuteronomy 17, it says four things about him. Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 to 20, it says, first of all, in verse 15, that he will be chosen by God. It says, you'll set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose. It says in verse 16 that he will be dependent on God, not looking to foreign armies or horses to save him. It says third in verse 19 that he will delight in God's law, reading it all the days of his life so that, he might not ter- uh, so that he might learn to fear the Lord by keeping all the words of his law and his statutes and doing them. And then in verse 20, it says that he will be humble. I'm not letting his heart be lifted up above his brothers. This is what the ideal king of Deuteronomy 17 is like. He's chosen by God, dependent on God, delights in God's law, and is humble. If you come back to Psalms 18 and 19, we see each of these four qualities. Where in Psalm 18:50, he is called God's anointed forever, or Psalm 19:11, God's servant. I mean, he's, he's chosen by God. He is his anointed one, his servant. And not only is he chosen by God, but he is dependent on God. That's really the, the, the idea of Psalm 18, his absolute dependence on God who is his rock and his refuge. And then in, in Psalm 19, he depends on God in verse 13 even to keep him from presumptuous sins. Like the king of Deuteronomy 17, he, he delights in God's law. That was the point of the whole middle section right at the, the heart and center of Psalm 18 made then even clearer in Psalm 19. And again, like that ideal king in Deuteronomy 17, we see in both of these psalms a king who is humble, looking to God and God alone to help him and save him. 
and finding in the word of God his very source of life. The king of Psalms 18 and 19 is a prophetic portrayal of the Deuteronomy 17 king who delights in God's law. He says it's more to be desired than gold. Like the king in Deuteronomy 17, he doesn't seek to to gather for himself much gold, but values God's word above it, reading it all the days of his life that he might learn to fear the Lord, as the the king does here in Psalm 19.9. He desires God's law even more than much fine gold. It's sweeter to him than honey. And he says that by it he is warned so that he might not turn aside either to the right or to the left, as it said in Deuteronomy 17, verse 20. But in keeping them, he finds great reward. And so he does keep them. And ask God to declare him innocent. That is, verse 12, to examine his inner life and declare that he has kept God's word. This is not a confession of sin, but this is a prayer for acquittal. Followed in verse 13 by asking God to continue to keep him from sin so that he might be blameless. Beloved, this is the voice of the ideal king to whom David points and for whom David longs. Who then prays that God would be pleased with his meditation throughout this psalm. That word meditation reminding us of Psalm 1. Where the blessed man who finds favor in God's sight meditates day and night on his law. That's exactly what the king has done throughout this psalm. And now he asks God to accept his meditation, to be pleased with his utter delight in his word. Beloved, Psalm 19 is showing us the kind of king that Israel needs and the kind of king that we need. That's the whole point of the book of the Psalms. It is a cantata about the Davidic covenant showing us the kind of king we need who so delights in God's law that he keeps himself from sin that that not only might he lead us well in righteousness but so that as our representative he might be declared blameless, innocent, and acceptable in God's sight so that we in him might also be. Psalm 19 is showing us the kind of king we need. It's showing us Christ. It is, as one commentator said, a little window into the heart of our Lord Jesus and, and finds its fullest manifestation when Messiah speaks it. We are here listening in on the utter delight of the messianic king and the perfect law of God that revives the soul. We're listening in on the blessed man and his meditation day and night from Psalm 1. It's because he delighted in God's word that we could be saved. Because he was kept back, depending on the Lord in prayer, from presumptuous sins, declared blameless and innocent from hidden faults and great transgression, that that he could become also our priest, who dies for our sins as the blameless one, accepted in God's sight. And then also our prophet, commending to us the very word of God that points to him as sweeter than honey and better than gold. The voice of the king is the voice of Christ, our prophet and priest. The voice of scripture points to him. Even the voice of of nature in verses 4 and 5 in some sense points to him where it says that that the sun comes forth like a bridegroom leaving its chamber, running its course with joy as a strong and mighty champion. 
as these themes of, of a bridegroom and day spring and, and son of righteousness and the mighty warrior who will return for his bride all point to him. The sun is heaven's daily exhortation to hope, which the high poetry of the Bible here calls an exultant bridegroom so that, that the very revelation of God in nature points to the day spring from on high who reveal the fullness of God's glory. The king who Psalm 19 looks forward to in whom we place our hope. God's voice in nature, God's voice in scripture, and even here the voice of the king bear witness to him. And so the purpose of this psalm is first of all to reveal to us the kind of king that we need. Who loves God's word and delights in it, who meditates on it day and night and is blameless, declared innocent from hidden faults and accepted in God's sight. It's meant to make us long for this kind of king to rejoice that he has come, to thank God for him and worship, to confess how far we have fallen short of rightly reading God's glory in nature and, and delighting in his word, but then to rejoice that this king who we need has come. Then just as we said in Psalm 1, since we have his spirit in us, to then be conformed more and more to his image and let this king be an example to us of delighting in God's voice both in nature and especially in scripture and to let his spirit so work in us that his delight becomes our delight. Already back in Deuteronomy 17, the ideal king who's there described is to be an example to his brothers. So that the piety of the king might drip down from the head to the body. And so it is with Christ. As the head of his brothers and king of the church, he shows us in Psalm 19 through the voice of his forerunner David what utter delight we're to have in the word of God which makes us wise unto salvation, enlightens our eyes, rejoices our heart, enacts justice and righteousness and revives the soul. Behold your king in Psalm 19 and follow him. Listen to his testimony about the perfect law of God that's sweeter than honey so that your meditation might be uh, acceptable in his sight. Trust him as he, he commends the word of God here to us and meditate on that same word, that Torah, which again we find not just in the law but in the Torah-shaped book of the Psalms, five books in the Psalms, just like the five books of Moses. And so you meditate also on these. Let them thrill your heart and and grow you in the likeness of the king who first sang them. Let him show you how to hear God's voice in scripture. Let him show you in psalms like this or in Psalm 8 how to hear God's voice in nature and let him teach you how to see God's glory in both creation and redemption so that like him, your meditation might be acceptable In God's sight. This is what Psalm 19 is teaching us. It's calling us to love the word of God, not just the book of nature, but the book of scripture. And as Paul's use of of this psalm in Romans 10 will make clear, to then proclaim this word to all creation so that the cosmic character of God's revelation in nature would be matched with the cosmic character of the proclamation of the gospel to the ends of the earth. You don't have time to to look there, but in Romans chapter 10, 
Verse 18, Paul quotes Romans, or verse 4 of this psalm. Verse 4 of the psalm where it says of God's voice in nature that its voice goes out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And he says of that verse that it bears witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ going to the ends of the earth. This word is so precious that Paul is saying as far as the voice of God in nature is heard, so far must his voice in scripture be heard. And so the church, as she hears the voice of her king and like him loves and values God's word more than gold, must manifest that love not only in meditating on it, but in making sure that others would hear it through sending out preachers, through training up faithful expositors, through giving our gifts for the advance of the gospel, through translating scripture to unknown languages, and praying that those who have not yet tasted this word that sweeteth and honey would. And with the king, would be able to see God's glory in both creation and redemption. May the spirit of our king so work in us this love for his word. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word that is sweeter than honey. And praise you for your voice in nature that is all glorious. We pray that your voice in the scriptures and in the testimony of the king would go forth and be heard as widely as your voice in creation goes through all the earth. Help us to love your word more and more. Help us to find in it great delight and by it to have our souls revived. Therefore, to desire also that others would hear it.